Welcome back to the third episode of On Track with Julia. I'm Julia Choi, a violinist with the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra, and you'll get to hear my talented colleagues speak about their lives. We have two very special guests today, Nancy Wu and Lee Mesh. Nancy has been the Associate Concertmaster of the Met Orchestra since 1989, and Lee has been the Associate Principal Bass since 1993. Lee is a graduate of the Curtis Institute of Music, and Nancy graduated with honors from Stanford University and the Vienna Hochschule für Musik. Their performances have taken them across the globe, and they are also very much looked up to for their pedagogy. They are also just the most awesome people ever, and I learned so much from just speaking with them. Now, without further ado, let's meet this amazing couple. for being here and for your time and joining me on this interview. I'm so happy I got this time to talk to you guys. Um, we've been having so many meetings, so I feel like I see you quite often on Zoom, actually, and I know how busy you are even during the pandemic. So I want to thank you again for all the work that you're doing for our orchestra and for taking the time out of your busy schedules to be with me today. Um, you guys are like rock stars. <laughs> I'd love to start off by telling people how I first met you. Um, Leah and Nancy, you are so special to me because we met at the Verbier Festival. And for those who aren't familiar, it's a summer music festival up in Verbier, Switzerland. And it is so beautiful up there. And I frequently go back to my photo album just to kind of relive the moment and um, the summers virtually. Um, it's certainly one of the top music festivals um, for young musicians um, to get into, and rightfully so because it's, first of all, free, and as a fellow, you're provided room and board and the flight to go to Switzerland and play some of the most incredible music. And the lineup of the conductors and the repertoire and the programming is just insane. Um, anyway, we'll talk more about this later in the interview, but basically, this is where I met you. Nancy was my coach. She was the violin coach. She still is. And um, Lee is the coach for the bass players. Um, but you guys have this joint end of the year summer party for all your students, and it's so nice that you guys do that for us. Um, okay, so I talk so much. Um, I would love for my listeners to kind of get a general background of you. Would you kind of give us a quick rundown of your life story? Maybe we can start with Lee. Where were you born and raised? And how did you start the bass? And would you say that your journey was a typical trajectory for a classical musician or not? Wow. Wow. <clears throat> okay. I was born in Greenwich, Connecticut, not far from here. I was raised in Porchester, New York, also not far. Well, I say not far from here, where we currently live. Uh, I grew up there my whole life and jumping ahead how I got into music my trajectory at the time was not so atypical for somebody playing bass but in terms of somebody entering classical music it was completely not typical I started mm -hmm. really late I started playing bass when I was 17. Whoa that's <laughs> in high school that's right oh uh it, and it's you know that's another longer story but it essentially kind of morphs into people of my generation kind of messed around with electric bass or guitar. And then the transition seems kind of logical to start playing the big bass, which you think is the same because the tuning is the same. Mm -hmm. It's not the same at all. So uh, because I was completely directionless and lacking focus in anything except my love for music, I decided when I became a senior in high school that I was going to get serious on the double bass and audition for music schools. Holy crap, you started so late. I mean, is that <laughs> typical for bass players or? You know, it was it, in people of my, in my generation, cause I'm like, I'm not such, such a young dude anymore. But uh, <laughs> <look> now, <laughs> now I think bass and bass playing and bass instruction starts much earlier than when, when I was playing, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cause I it's see. big. Yeah. I mean, I started when I was four, and I don't know, Nancy, did you start really young also? 
I started when I was five. Yeah. So similar. <laughs> and I started because my brother was already taking violin lessons. He's older than me by two years. Uh -huh. And he had started with the Suzuki program. You know, my mother, typical Asian woman, <laughs> parent, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, thought it was good for us to have music. And I was, this was in California, Los Angeles, in the San Fernando Valley. And there were Suzuki lessons at what was then called San Fernando Valley State College. Now it's mm -hmm. called Cal State Northridge. So my brother was taking lessons and I would tag along and the teacher said, why doesn't she start? And so I started and my brother and I studied violin side by side all the way until he left for college. And we, he was a wonderful partner. We practiced together. We would practice scales together, Aww. play Bach double together. He was my hero. And he was he was always concert master generally because he was older and he was very, very accomplished on the violin. Wow. You think he was better. Yeah, he's better. <laughs> now he thinks she's better. What, is he still playing now? No. Oh. He 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 played as an amateur for many, many years, chamber music, all kinds of things. He's a sociologist mm -hmm. at NYU. So he comes to the opera. He has a, he's a subscriber to the Met Opera with his partner. But we grew up, he was a wonderful influence. We listened to, you know, he bought the complete Beethoven symphonies with George Sell. <laughs> Oh, wow. things like that so like I had I had a very good influence in my life with my brother so I started at age five and I grew up in LA I went to my undergraduate years were at Stanford University which was a That's little right. unusual yeah because I wasn't sure that I was going to go into music what was your major there it was music oh that's cool <laughs> well that's awesome I wish yeah. I had double majored, but I, I, at some point after my sophomore year, I realized I needed to practice, mm -hmm. <laughs> I have time for practicing. So I actually took a very, very light load in my senior year and just did a music degree. But I, uh, I, I decided that I had a, a teacher who helped me reshape my technique. And then after Stanford, I went to Vienna on a wow. Fulbright, on a Fulbright scholarship. Uh, and I ended up staying there for five years. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. Isn't it funny how that works? I mean, it's so crazy from New York to Vienna to California. You grew up and had all these different experiences at so many different places. But this just proves how music essentially brings people from all over the globe together. Yeah. And uh, Lee, you went to Curtis. Do you want to speak about that a little bit? Yeah, well, first I actually went to SUNY Purchase, State University of New York at Purchase because- I did not know that. Yeah, well, I wasn't playing for that long. It was kind of ridiculous. And I auditioned for SUNY Potsdam, SUNY Buffalo. And I think I, I got rejected from a couple of them, but Purchase took me. And How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was there for two years and I was very, brash and incredibly ignorant you know so but i i was purchase worked out amazingly well because uh there were not many bass players so i was really thrust into situations and ensembles that i had no business being in no experience i didn't know what i was doing but that really forced me to learn really quickly and mm -hmm. then after a couple of years well even in my second year i thought i needed to try to get to a more competitive place and uh yeah the, the curtis thing that's that I just the Cur curtis is just on the other spectrum of that <laughs> well yeah it's on the other spectrum. i got incredibly lucky i was in the right place at the right time but that was an interesting thing but i got accepted there and that was just amazing that's yeah that's so cool um how long have you guys both played at the met <laughs> Nancy, you were there first, right? Yes, I started in December 1988. So wow. it's been. Wow, Let's right. do the math here. Yes. I don't know if I can do it. You can do it. It's been. It will. It, I'm coming up on uh, 32 32? years. So. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for your service. 
and ongoing. <laughs> Thank what you for your you? service and sacrifice. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I started in 93, fall of 93. Okay. So just a couple years after um, Nancy. Yeah. Right? Wow. Well, what's four and a half because you started in the middle of the season in 88 or? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Did you um, both have orchestra jobs outside of the Met before you started or um, was this your first job? I, I was playing with New Jersey Symphony when I joined the Met. I was principal oh. second there. Wow. And at the, yeah, at I the time. Know it was... so many of these things. I mean, this is more for the audience, but I didn't even know a lot of this. So I'm learning also. That's so cool. My first job was in the Columbus Symphony Orchestra. That's Columbus, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And that orchestra was actually, it was a good orchestra. A lot of good players there. I was there for almost two years. Then I went to the Indianapolis Symphony. I was there for almost four years. Then I played, I had a year contract in the Chicago Symphony. And while I was in Chicago, then I won my position in the Met while I was in Chicago Symphony and left Chicago. Wow. That was about That's... seven years in total before coming to the Met. Did you feel like you had any struggles going through it or? Oh my God. These are subjects for like a million podcasts. I know. I just have so many questions. Sure. <laughs> our, our trajectory, audition trajectory was very different because Nancy's like the wunderkind and I'm the journeyman. Right? <laughs> so you got this position much sooner in your audition process. Right. After Vienna, I came back to the United States for actually for a summer festival where I met Desiree Elsphere. We played in a quartet together in Norfolk, uh, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And she encouraged me to, she was my audition coach, <laughs> which I was very lucky because she had just won the Met audition. Wow. So I did. New Jersey Symphony twice, once to get into the orchestra, once for principal second. I also did New York Philharmonic, Houston Symphony, and I was able to get in the finals, but never didn't get those jobs. Mm -hmm. And then I did the Met. So I. It, so this is like your fifth audition that and, you got this job. Yeah. Well, I, I had also I had joke. also done St. Paul before that, so it, there were there were several. I think there, there were many for whom the Met was their first, but wow. I, that wasn't me. But I I had a pretty, I would say a you know it wasn't too too long a journey. Uh huh. Me. So I do feel lucky, um, but I did learn along. <laughs> wow. But I had I enjoyed. Uh, the process of preparing for the Met audition the most because right. I actually I really loved uh, the opera repertoire, which I I had gone to many operas in Vienna, and I actually had the first experience playing opera when I was growing up in California, yeah. and I I always loved opera, so it I really that was in a way the most enjoyable audition if one could say preparing for an audition is enjoyable. <laughs> is was that your first opera audition yes wow me too <laughs> yeah <laughs> but after several you know so many orchestra auditions so lee what about you what are your experiences so my experience was a little different than nancy's the met audition was my 24th audition wow a lot of auditions um let's see i guess when did i was 29 started 18 so well after school I guess the whole process took about six years or so before I got the match or maybe seven years before I, I won the job in the Met and mm -hmm. you know had obviously some success because I had gotten these jobs I had gotten into the finals of some other things but I also had many many disappointments you know, especially in, in the beginning, you don't get anywhere. You get caught after the first round and then you just have to kind of pick yourself up, you know, out right. of despair and keep going and just the long path. But it was a long time. It was really yeah. a long time. Would you say that it was a consistent path or for the most part? Or was it I, up and down? You know, earlier it was up and down, but I think obviously later in the in the process, you get to the point where you start feeling your confidence, you know you're sounding good because you are getting into the finals mm -hmm. and you're getting down to the, the last few people and you know you're doing things right. And then you start 
for me at least, it gave me a lot of confidence that, in thinking that, okay, this is going to happen and I'm, I'm where I need to be. So that obviously feels much better. I think anytime somebody wins an audition, you have to feel that way. Although you really didn't feel so confident if you're in that audition, you should say what happened <laughs> for that. Cause that's really, that's Nancy. I, well, in the first round, I actually dropped my bow. Oh my gosh. I Is caught it. I no, I caught it. You know, it was one of those things that slipped out of my hands. I caught it, but I <laughs> had to stop in the middle of the excerpt. And then whoever was monitoring Tom Fernand said, just start over. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, oh, this is I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I mean, those are the things that some, you know, some of the students would not know um, that it's okay that, you know, these malfunctions happen during the audition. You just have to start over, tell the monitor and everything's fine. And you just start over on a clean slate, but some people don't know that. So this is good. And after every round, she would call her mom and brother and said, I, I'm going to get, I'm going to get cut. I <laughs> Except when you won, right? So you don't know, you don't always need to have supreme confidence to win. You could, you could feel like you don't sound well. You could also win. Right. <laughs> yeah. You both have obviously been on panels of a myriad of auditions now. Um, could you tell us what the auditions are like being on the other side of the screen as a judge and what you hope to hear from a potential candidate? It's fascinating. It was such an interesting thing to sit on audition committees for me. And I, this is something I do try to uh, pass on to the students that I work with. Naturally, you're looking for excellent intonation, really good rhythm, beautiful sound. And these things are important because it makes playing together as an ensemble easier. Mm -hmm. It also is part of the musical product when, you know, the whole product, but ultimately at the very end of the day, I, and at the, in the finals, everybody is playing at a very high level. Mm -hmm. So for me personally, I want, I want to feel the music from the person. And even if it's not exactly my interpretation, but if I feel they're genuine and that they have a, that they relate to, a mu to the music in a way that I can connect with, that's in a way, that's the person I want to sit with. Yeah. So I, I have found that over the years that um, when I hear somebody that I think, oh, that's the way the music sounds to me, or they have a, they have a passion for it, or they, they really connect with it. That's for me, very important. Very mm -hmm. What about you, Lee? I'm just trying to think. I've sat, of course, on many string auditions. I've sat on a timpani audition. I've sat in on the harp audition when Mariko got her job. Um, what else? No, that's it. But um, you, you know, when you when the committee is sitting there, I think people take it very, very seriously. We don't. Every orchestra has different audition processes, of course, but there's no discussion with ours. There's no discussion throughout. The screen is up throughout. Mm -hmm. You vote how you feel, whether this person should be advanced or not, or the person should get the job. Yes or no, they tabulate the votes up and that's it. It's completely anonymous and dem democratic. And I think it's a great system and I totally um, believe in it. Um, I'm struck with how importantly the rest of the committee takes their jobs. People mm -hmm. really feel that they're trying to give each person their best chance to, to play their best audition. We all know what it's like, this, the months and years of work and stress getting to that point of right. traveling to a different city playing. Um, everybody's, I found, I found later that in speaking about a certain audition, everybody listens for something different. You know, certain things are very important to some people. Intonation is whether this person has a gorgeous sound and they 
I feel they play really musically. If there's one or two notes out of tune, that could nix them for, for someone on the committee. Mm-hmm. Whereas maybe it's not so important to me. If somebody's rhythm is a little bit suspect, that might be another important thing for somebody else. And then there, there have been cases where people who I've respected so much in the orchestra, people who's playing in musicianship I absolutely love, vote for somebody that I was very surprised about. It's all so subjective. Right. But I think, you know, sometimes the auditions are like very, very close, seven votes to six. That's not so clear. Sometimes the votes are completely unanimous, which is also rare too. But I feel like when somebody wins, they generally stand out clearly. Either their their sound is beautiful, their musicianship, Mm-hmm. is really captivating. There's something that people agree, yes, this person really huh. is the winner. Yeah, the it's like the it factor. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I haven't been on a panel yet, so I'm interested to be. You're going to be on a lot. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> um, Nancy, you're the Associate Concert Master of our orchestra, and Lee, you're the Associate Principal of Bass. And both are extremely critical roles for the orchestra. Can you tell us what your job specifically entail and what the key differences are between yours and the rest of the section and versus any of the other title roles? And also in auditions, do you listen for certain things depending on which position um, the applicant is auditioning for? So my role as associate concert master, I, um, I often sit second chair to the con- with the concert masters. I often sit on the second stand. Uh, occasionally, I have to lead uh, an opera as concert master. So it, it, there are many roles involved, mm-hmm. and um, but probably the most time I spend playing is in a supportive role. I do find when sitting with the concert masters, it's a very, it's, you want to both be a very strong player and you, but you really have to make them also feel very comfortable so that they can lead. You don't want to get in their way, but you want to support them. So it's a very, it's a tricky balance. Yeah. I, 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 hope I do a, a good job. I think I, I certainly course. try my best and I've gotten mostly good feedback from the people I sit with, but mm-hmm. it is a very tricky job. And you want, you are, because you're on the first stand, you want to be a very strong team right. with your, with the concert master. So that's almost the most important thing, but you also don't want to lose your individuality because right. I think that's always important as well. So it's, uh, it's, it's a an very- interesting thing. Yeah, it's a very fine line that you're tiptoeing across, right? Yes. And yeah. then having to step into the concert master role where you really then need to be a leader. So it's tried, right. sometimes it's hard to keep up all of those chops, I find, but it's a challenge. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's also very rewarding because I get the different challenges. So I, I feel very fortunate that I've been in that position and I've had some amazing experiences also being right there in the front. I, I also sit next to the principal cello very often. And so I often have said, I'm in like a really, and I, I feel so fortunate yeah. to sit between these amazing players. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing and very close to the conductor, which is also, you have a lot of interaction, which is, it's also nice because sitting further back, it's, I think is often more challenging because you're, it's harder to stay, you know, involved and engaged. Sure. Um, although I always tell people just keep, or people I work with, like in Verbier, keep looking up because a good conductor will want to engage you no matter where you're sitting. And right. it helps you. But uh, as far as listening to auditions, well, of course, when uh, listening to somebody auditioning for a position like mine in a different section, you want them to be able to have both some soloistic capability for sure. But again, the musical sensitivity, I think is also very important. And that's a very difficult thing to determine in an audition. 
but I do try to listen for that because that sensitivity again is what makes you play well with somebody else Mm -hmm. besides having a strong opinion yourself about the music wow you know, just to, for Nancy, that she forgets the one really stressful thing about her position is she often has to jump in and play a, a solo, a group, right. you know, big solo without rehearsal. And so without notice, right? Sometimes. Sometimes. Like if I someone mean, gets it, sick all of a sudden, then you have to jump in and you play. You know, after all these years to kind of be prepared, but it's not the same as having a rehearsal to hear your sound in the gigantic space of the Met. That can be really scary when all of a sudden you, you're doing it and you haven't gotten a chance to do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. even though our, sorry, I'm interrupting, should I talk? <laughs> even though our titles are the same, our jobs are actually quite different. So the wow. way it's set up in our orchestra, the associate concert master, there the, are two concert masters. One concert master always plays, one is always off. There are two principal cellos. When one is playing, the other one never plays with them except when the met orchestra plays. Then in terms of the other strings, there's principal second, violin, and associate principal, principal viola, associate principal. Mm-hmm. So, and, and principal bass, associate principal bass. So essentially it means those jobs are split in the role of whom is playing principal for that opera. And we overlap with one opera. It's a little complicated, but it generally means I play almost half time as principal even though my title is associate principal. Does this make sense? Yeah, totally. For so me, the whole, but maybe not for, you know. Well, the whole, the whole fact that it's a whole different mindset, what Nancy was saying, if you're playing next to the principal or the concert master, then you are in a role of kind of blending more, where, whereas when you're playing principal, then you kind of just play in a way that you believe it should be without having to worry about blending with somebody. So that's, yeah. I think, a big difference. And um, sometimes it's great to have that freedom. And then other times it's also great to have a little bit of a break. It's just somehow what the stress level is just a little bit lower in a way. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, what does my job entail? Obviously, if there's a solo you know, for bass, which means like a couple of whole notes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's some big, there's some famous whole note solos. Oh, what about like at the end of La Boheme, the, the, the long A when Mimi's has oh, yeah. that. It's funny, it's really, I used to get so nervous with that because it's hard because it's really exposed and you know, you could be nervous and my bow is like, um, <laughs> which means my bow shake. Yeah. <laughs> which means she's not really flatlining. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's what it means. Sorry. Yeah. She's wow. Uh, uh. And I, I think I think the biggest thing about playing principal is to be is to come in to really make all the entrances, which people think, well, it's a no-brainer. But in the course of an opera, to be really focused and to really solidly come in count rests and make entrances is a big deal yeah. and i find that if i'm playing principal and hopefully i'm not spacey and tired but look it happens you know if i don't make an entrance maybe it's just my own feeling but i feel like all of a sudden there's a there's a feeling of unrest in the section <laughs> it's like oh man i gotta get it together yeah um i mean it's kind of like you're in the hot seat right being yeah in these yeah. title positions yeah so. yeah i mean you're really expected to just i mean not that you're if you're sitting third chair fourth chair sixth chair whatever you're expected to play at a less high standard maybe it's just your feeling i just i feel obligated to try and be really solid mm-hmm. put it that way listening for an audition for somebody who's principal or not principal to me there's no difference mm-hmm I just listen to somebody that I feel is is the 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 best. I don't if somebody if it's a principal position and they're playing the solo. I I don't think to myself, oh, this person's a principal player. This person's definitely a section player. Yeah. To me, you know, especially in most of our our stuff, we're we're a single unit. It's a giant violin section. It's a big bass section. 
we're supposed to play as one in unison, which is the really difficult and challenging thing about playing in a large ensemble. Like a mm-hmm. It's so hard, especially in our pit, because it's so large. And yeah. like sitting all the way back, it feels like I'm on 72nd Street. <laughs> You're, it feels what, like you're what, what, in the base section. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm basically in the base section all Which the time. Which is good for us. <laughs> I don't know about that, but hopefully I'm trying. <laughs> um, well, you know, maybe I guess if anyone listens to this who's not a musician, who doesn't understand what we do, it's really interesting because every single person has a different sound. You could give this two different people the same bass, the same double bass bow, and they will draw a different sound. It's their musculature or whatever so you get all of these different sounds to try and come together and blend and mm-hmm. that's another issue that's it's not so easy playing an orchestra to make it sound great right yeah it's just this homogenous one being that we're trying to make all the time and it's so hard to how many people do we have in our orchestra well, it could be a hundred at, at, at the pace. Around a hundred, right? Approximately. So I mean, it also really helps that there we have a, like a kind of tradition of a style of playing and yes. people start learning that and getting a feel for that. And of course it changes with every different conductor gets a different sound out of the orchestra. But in terms of, of, of an audition, uh, you know, I've had many people thinking that they need to play a certain way for a certain orchestra. And I don't believe in that. I think play like you do. Don't try and second guess what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. I could, somebody might really disagree with me, but. I totally agree. Oh, because thanks. <laughs> it's, it's also, I think, very important to represent yourself honestly, because when you get into the orchestra, then you, you want to feel like you can play the way you are. You don't want right. to have to be fitting yourself into a different identity for 30 years. Exactly. <laughs> that would be horrible. Yeah. And I must say, when I came to the Met, I felt I could play the way I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And that was maybe one of the reasons I've also enjoyed all my 30, almost 32 years here, because yeah. it was really, musically, it felt like I was home. Yeah, like you're accepted and for what you are and who you are. So, yeah. I totally agree with that too. And orchestras, yes, and orchestras have different personalities. Again, have different traditions. You know, somewhat uh, formed by the music directors, formed by the personnel. But I do think, and and that's maybe why the auditions are also so subjective. So I think young people should also feel like if you don't win, it's you know, especially if you're in one of the last, you know, in the finals, it's a very very subjective process. Right. I just want to say we should stop talking about auditions. Okay. <laughs> but but um, you have been just so just constant pillars of support for me and just for countless others as well. And I remember when I was still subbing with the orchestra and Lee, you asked me if I had sent in my resume yet and whether I was going to play for everyone in the orchestra. And <laughs> I actually wasn't planning on it because I knew how insanely busy one busy everyone is um but of course you gave me that extra nudge at just the right time and i started contacting people and you probably don't remember this but as we were walking into the stage entrance door um together you were like you're gonna get it and you're gonna win and you just have no idea how much i held on for dear life to those words those few words and they stuck with me and gave me that push to keep my hopes up, so. <laughs> I remember. You do? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay, so, so you weren't just telling me that. No. <laughs> okay, well, I'm gonna stop being so sappy, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, though. I mean, I really appreciate it, you guys being there for everyone, all the young people. It's so nice that we can learn from the people who have been there for a longer time. And it's kind of the Met, that's how, That's why the Met is so special because I feel like, you know, there, there are all these traditions and they're just going to be passed down from generation to generation. So it's really wonderful, wonderful to see that. <laughs> um, so 
some of my followers who are in the audience um, mentioned they wanted to hear some stories from us. And so if you can share your top two or three favorite or funniest stories at the Met, um, just playing and or, you know, or not. Um, of course, from your many years of experience, you can tell us so many, but time permitting. You first, because I was thinking about this and I was thinking about which ones are appropriate to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> no, Go ahead. You, no, Go. I, I, you have some funny stories. Gosh. Okay, here's a pretty funny story. <laughs> okay. So, this was really early on when I just started. There was an older cellist in the orchestra, Dick K, Richard K. Um, really funny guy, kind of uh, in the cello section, in the back of the cello section, very low, gravelly voice, and he was always kind of solemn and sullen right uh -huh. anyway we're playing faust and is it the prelude to act three where there's the the organ the church scene. the church scene right so it's organ only backstage huh. and tom renand who who is actually the kingsley wood he's the personnel manager also on the bass section uh -huh. the guy who told nancy to redo her excerpt again he was <laughs> playing in the bass section <laughs> James, uh, Julius Rudell was conducting and the church scene starts, the curtain opened and no organ, nothing, not a sound. The organ, <laughs> who knows what's happening. And Rudell was incredibly volatile. He started getting really angry and he was like, well, where's, where's the organ? <laughs> so Tom Levine is in the bass section, in the performance and he kind of whisper yells up to the podium, Maestro, the organ isn't working. Oh and my God. <laughs> with, without skipping a beat, Dick Kay is in the back of the cello section. He says, I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> really funny. Oh my God. So that was so funny. I mean, I, could, I couldn't really play for like, you know, five minutes. I, I was just, it was the funniest thing. Did I they end heard. up getting the organ to work? I don't know what happened. Something happened, oh, you know, and it, the, the show always goes on, but oh it was my God. really, really funny. I mean, I bet the audience didn't realize. But... The audience did not hear Tom Bernand yell out to Bruce <laughs> Riddell or Dick Kay's response. Oh my gosh. But we in the, in the pit did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, well, my, my favorite funny story took place in the parks and this is a this has been repeated i'm sure many times but mm -hmm. the uh on staten island there were always these june bugs and they would fly to the you know these parks concerts were outdoors we had kind of a portable tent and it took place in. in june hence wow the, hence yeah. the name of the <laughs> so the bugs would fly up to the lights that were at the top and then they would drop down mm -hmm. and so yeah. Onto the orchestra. Onto the orchestra. Oh. And they were bugs that were about, I don't know, they were about as big as like, you know, different. Uh -huh. And they, so they would, we would start playing. And usually at the beginning, there weren't, there were no lights because it was still light enough. We didn't. But then as the performance went on, the lights went on, it got dark. So as we were playing, these bugs started falling on the musicians. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone break an instrument? No, <laughs> but you could just see people starting to twitch and starting to hit their music yeah. and to try to swat these bugs away. Ugh. And this only happened on Staten Island for some reason. We used we played in all five boroughs, but only on Staten Island. Okay. For whatever reason. So and I'm in the bass section on my stool overlooking the whole scene watching this <laughs> unfold. And I just it cracks me up thinking about it. Remembering but, it, but the funniest time was when, and the and the chorus used to, uh, they were seated behind the orchestra on risers. Yeah. On risers, so during all this June bug activity, one must have fallen onto a chorus woman, and I it went fell. down her blouse. Oh, yeah! She ran off the stage screaming, screaming through the bass section, oh. and. <laughs> So I look back at the bass section. Nobody is playing. They're all doubled over, laughing, laughing. so hard. 
bass players have a stereotype, right? <laughs> I'm just being hilarious, just in general. And so, yeah, I totally see that. Well, we're the we're some of the furthest from the conductor, so we could do. More you can do more things. Yeah. <laughs> we can have more fun. Yeah, that's why I love sitting next to you. <laughs> it definitely keeps me awake and interested <laughs> in what's up about to happen so um what about favorite moments at the Met? what um maybe favorite performances wow that's, that's, hard. that's a hard one because you have so, so, many. Many. so many there are many i was lucky enough to play under carlos cliver wow I played at the uh my first rosen cavalier experience was with wow Oh my goodness. And we that, just played that. Yeah. And so that was unbelievable. And Simon was asking all about Clyburn. Yeah. Your experience. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He yeah. wanted He's... to know about it, which is really cool. And many performances with Simon Rattle were amazing. Helias mm -hmm. and 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 uh, Tristan Montisolda. Of course, with Levine, we had a lot of also you know, amazing things. Yannick is wonderful. Mm -hmm. It's hard to hard to find to say one. I would say, yeah. and there's too many good operas too. So it's, but yeah, no, we I've been lucky. Many, a lot of good memories. Mm -hmm. And we're so spoiled. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to really pinpoint exactly which experience because we have we are spoiled with all of these great conductors and great singers and just the orchestra members, the chorus, everyone involved is so spectacular so we're really lucky in that way absolutely we've we we perform with the best singers in the world i mean we've heard amazing people over our years hildegard baron singing the ring wow um, unbelievable Mati Salman. oh my gosh Pretty amazing Stoll, stuff. I mean, uh, Pavarotti when he still sounded at, at, at his peak. Mm -hmm. Amazing stuff. Lee, you know the opera house inside and out. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I like to explore. Yeah, I'm pretty new. So um, I only really know the pit and the C level, which oh, is man. where we rehearse. It's C like ABC in the alphabet, not S-E-A. The basement. Yeah. yeah, the basement of the basements. Um, <laughs> and you were actually going to give me a tour of the whole house, but we never got around to it. Um, oh, no. So at some point we'll do the tour and, you know, maybe I can give the listeners a sneak peek also, you know. Um, but what is the neatest or your favorite part of the house? To me, I think the behind the scenes stuff is really magical. And the, always the highlight of the tour and hopefully this is kind of secret stuff. I shouldn't maybe say it, but okay. I go to no, I can't say. It. I go to some places, especially at night during a performance when everything is dark. So it huh. even has more cool atmosphere and ambiance. But there are places, the upper levels. It's basically divided into shops. The fourth floor is the wood shop where they build most of the wooden scenery, mm -hmm. and that's also together with paint shop and there are also a lot of small props so to see these these props of like the heads from Han hansel and gretel sitting on shelves with that are barely lit it's <laughs> it's really creepy and fun yeah um the wig shop is incredible but they're only open during daylight hours and the whole costume shop is it's just mind-blowing to see oh what goodness. goes on in there and then there's the metal shop where they fashion, you know, anything metal from mm -hmm. the trolleys that they build the scenery on to the small props to swords and you name it. Um, yeah, it's there's a lot of stuff in that building. It's, it's yeah. a cool place. It's gigantic. <laughs> gigantic so and it's old and kind of, it's dusty, right? It's New York, so it's not going to be sparkling clean. So that kind of adds to it all. Right. Yeah, it is amazing to see the behind the scenes uh, action. Uh, there's so many skilled and um, talented people who work at the Met, the costume, you know, designers, the people who make the costumes, wig makers, seeing the fabrics they're working with. It's 
it, and the and the stagehands they are they're an amazing amazing bunch how they work together uh the chorus i mean it's a it's an amazing production how everybody comes together and uh makes puts on these shows it's you know we know the orchestra but there's every time i go i walk around and and even talk to people it's makes me very proud yeah it, the, the sad thing is how separate and segregated we are because we're on the a level we're on mm -hmm. the pit level, generally. The chorus is always on stage level. The stage hands are up there, and then the scenery people are on different levels. So it would be wonderful that the times that we really mixed and mingled were on the Japan tours. The whole company would be on one plane. You might be sitting next to somebody from the scenic shop, and you get to know different people, and it, it's too bad we can't do more of that. Yeah. I wish we could do more of that too. Speaking of, you both have been at the Met for a long time. And for me, I'm still new. I'm just trying my best to keep up. <laughs> so, but you have played all the standard operas and repertoire over and over multiple times a season and when it returns. And so how do you keep your passion for the music alive? It's always different. Everything is always different. Just just when you're feeling like maybe, wow, I'm getting tired of playing this. You get a new conductor, you get a different cast and it feels different. Or, you know, it, it because we play things so much, it's easy to forget that this is one of, like, this is one of the greatest masterpieces written, right? Mm -hmm. But it, it can lose its freshness, but it always changes. And you change and you grow and your perspective is different. If it, you played a piece which you got tired of five years ago, maybe you enjoy it more. I find it's, it's hard to do because we spend so much time playing when we're playing during the season. So much time playing opera. If you want to hear something different, you don't want to hear voices. But for me, once in a while to go back and listen to some of my favorite recordings, also rereading the libretto the text mm -hmm. and really knowing what's being said or you know i know it sounds nerdy but looking at the score <laughs> and seeing what's going on what else is going on uh gives you something new to listen for when you're sitting in the pit because you get very very involved with just what's immediately around you yeah and you're trying to play in tune with your neighbor you're trying to play together with this person to your left but if you you know, start listening to what's going on in the winds or across the pit. That actually helps me. And again, even the ones that I know, but just to, to really like, yeah, I don't remember the, the text always, but just to remember what's, what's really being said and yeah, just going back, but also listening to some of my favorite recordings, my favorite singers and just remembering, you know, what, you know what the music is about and getting away get a little distance away another mm -hmm. thing that also i find helps a lot is to actually go to performances yeah whenever i sit in the audience and see it from a distance or see it from the audience viewpoint it changes things completely and right that, we should be required to go see three <laughs> shows a season yeah because I, it I, just forces you out of your little five foot perimeter and you hear the everything in its entirety you focus on the production and then you think wow maybe this thing that i was so focused on around me that i don't really even hear out in the audience is not so important and it just kind of gives you a fresh perspective right yeah so totally true um does it ever get easier as the years go on or are there some staples in the rep that just never get easier Yes, it gets, I think it gets easier. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> Certain things. It's very interesting. I, for me, a lot of the Wagner operas, actually, I had such trouble at the beginning with them. Maybe it was just learning so many notes. And those, for me, get easier every time. Not easier. They're still challenging. But just then playing all the passages, it's, they're more familiar. You still have to practice them, but it's not it's not the same mozart doesn't get easier yeah <laughs> that remains challenging as as Barbara challenging Seville. is yeah barbara's to fill some of these ones that are actually more transparent 
and or almost more pristine. They are they they remain very challenging. Verity mm-hmm. remains very challenging. Um, the familiar yeah. familiarity makes things easier. You know, for instance, what is difficult in your own particular part, and it's just a little less difficult the second time. And then, of course, there are passages that I play that I like. Well, I could never play that thing my whole time. And <laughs> I usually turn to my my stand partner and say, "Well, totally, you know, f that up." And I never could play that passage. So <laughs> you just I feel go, like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if Rosen Cavalier is one of those. Too. Well, there's there's things that are impossible to play, right? That were yeah. composed in an impossible, and you have to fake as best you can, right? <laughs> They're just Exactly. Rosen Cavalier doesn't get easier. That's one that the way he wrote it, you feel like you have to play every note and play it re- every note really well. And it remains very challenging, but in a very re- rewarding way. Interestingly, different from some of his other operas like Electra and Salome, mm-hmm. which um, are, but again, it's, I think it's, it's the way it's written that it's much more transparent, Rosen Cavalier. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, how do you juggle your family life with our rigorous schedule when we're playing? How did we juggle our How play? did I mean, you? I mean, kid, the kids are 18 and 23. Yeah, almost yeah. 19. Almost wow. 19 and 23. When the kids were little. I don't know how we did it. I took naps in the car on the way to the Met. Oh my Not gosh. when I was driving. I slept almost every trip. Not when I was playing. You gotta say the car wash story. That'll, that'll, that'll <gasps> um, minimize it. <laughs> it, it was. It, 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 I was very tired much of the time. Um, that's one way I I dealt with it. I luckily I've I've never been much of a TV person, but I I actually don't. I didn't have time to do anything like that really. Nights off, I would practice. Uh, I would start at 10:30. Oh my god! After I put the kids to sleep, after I cleaned up the kitchen, I would that that was my starting time. Uh-huh. So uh, you know, it was it was challenging, but uh, we had uh, we had a very wonderful nanny who mm-hmm. was with us the whole time our kids were growing up, and uh, it, it's it's very challenging. You That's have to so juggle hard. a lot of things, and I was not always as prepared as I wanted to be. Uh, but you know, you do your best and, uh, <laughs> but it was, I'm, I don't regret it for a minute, for a minute. And our kids accompanied us on two Japan tours, each of them. Wow. And that was really special for them and very special for us. And, um, so, you know, it, it's, it's doable, but it's challenging. And we, the women in, in the Met, in the locker room, we often are talking about how to, we try to give each other advice on how to manage this or that meals. <laughs> Luckily, mm-hmm. Lee and I, uh, we would share the cooking and uh, we were able to stagger our schedules somewhat. That helped a lot. Wow. I mean, I don't know how you guys do it. And you guys commute too um, from the city. So that's already just so exhausting, you know, just yeah. the driving back and forth. And do you stay in the city? during the breaks in between the show and the rehearsal or? Often not, just because if you don't have a place to go in the city, that's also really tiring too. You have four hours to kill, yeah. you could do some errands, but you don't have a place to really kind of relax. Um, sorry, I just, I, I, do I have time? I, got, I have to say one thing about yeah, this whole course. fatigue sessions. This is really funny. <laughs> so early on when we were together and kids were really small, Mm-hmm. In Die Valkyrie, which is the second ring opera, there it's just a great opera for bass and cello, lower strings, some of the most juicy melodic stuff to play. And there's a section in Act Two that you guys, the fiddles, are sitting out for at least 20 minutes, right? Not playing, resting. And I remember saying to Nancy, You have to listen to this music. It's incredible. It's like some of them the most gut-wrenching stuff to play. And I was playing it, I'm so into it that night. And I looked over and she's just passed out, heads down. And oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> totally out. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 
so she took she took a lot of naps where she could <laughs> <laughs> during the show <laughs> well you guys weren't playing for 20 minutes so it was a good yeah spot. Oh my goodness. You put, the, you put the scroll of the violin in front of your head. You, you lean it so that you're not yeah. quite so obvious. Well, if you could give yourself 20 years ago some advice, what would you say? For me, 20 years ago, uh, if you, you, you don't know this in your 20 years younger self. I was very... Everything was very intense for me. I wanted it to be the, the highest standard, this, this and that. And it's not that my standards are lower now, 20 years later, I'm just more patient and mm -hmm. calmer. Not everything is going to be the pinnacle. Everybody has things going on in their life. We all work together to just try and be calm and take a deeper breath everything's gonna work out okay. The years go by, the shows go by, and things, the, the, there are problems, there, things don't always go right, but that just take them a little calmer. With the, mm -hmm. That's what I would tell myself. I need I, to, I need to hear that for sure. You gotta, you gotta relax. Yeah, I need to stop, chill out. <laughs> um, I was thinking exactly the same thing, actually. Patience was the thing that came to mind. When you're a young person coming into the orchestra, especially after going through such a competitive process, you, you think that everything is going to be perfect, or not even perfect, but like, you know, again, at this incredibly, you know, like everybody's gonna be like you. And when you're young and there's nothing else in your life, it's one stage, but in the Met, as you said, the Met Orchestra, we have people at all different stages of life, mm -hmm. different who've been in the orchestra all these different years. And this is true for, you know, many orchestras. But you, you have to, at some point, I think, again, as you're in the orchestra longer, you realize that, again, the, the whole picture works out. And even though some of these little details and this one performance, well, you know, wasn't as good. Oh, that's the other thing. I think it's just having a, you know, that you realize that in the grand scheme of things that it still is a great orchestra. People try, you know, we come, we come together at, for many, many performances that, and the standard is great, but it, it's easy to get caught up in small, you know, small things and mm -hmm. get caught up in small negative thoughts. And it's, you want to try to stay positive, see the positive in your colleagues because everybody has something good to offer. But again, just patience. I think when you're young, you're, you, you want things to happen quickly. You want things to change quickly. And it's not the nature of an orchestra like ours, but ultimately it's, you know, when you really, again, when you sit out there and you listen, you feel really good about what we do and what, that we're part of this amazing product. Right, yeah. Definitely needed to hear that. <laughs> what is your favorite opera? If you had one to name. I love the Britain operas and I really loved Billy Budd. There's for a lot of reasons, but I guess it would either be Billy Budd or Peter Grimes. Oh, I haven't played those, so. You just wait till you play. Peter Grant, I mean, some of the greatest stuff, like great masterpieces. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say. The first thing that came to my mind was Rosenkavlier. Rosenkavlier. Yeah. But I also have a very soft spot for Die Zauberflöte, Magic Flute. Uh, that one for the me short is- short one or long one? <laughs> no, Die Zauberflöte, that's the long one. <laughs> like the cuts of the short one although it's it's hard to play the long one after you've played the short one. right but there's just there are moments in that opera that are just magical pretty heavenly yeah yeah a I lot know. mozart operas are oh again it's so hard to have one but that when you said that uh, rosenkavler yeah hansel and, and gretel we... too is really beautiful mm -hmm. coming back to some of those tunes although i wouldn't say it was my favorite but i'm now just talking about moments. 
I mean, it's 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 great. Hansel and Gretel. It's just it's a great one. Yeah, can't wait to play it. Do you guys drink coffee? You do, right? What's big time? <laughs> What's your method of brewing? Espresso. We, we do. We have an espresso machine. We have an apartamento mm-hmm. made by Rocket from Milan. Milan. Ooh, so, so we, fancy. Yeah, it's a very it's a small machine, but it's like a fancy machine. And mm-hmm. we have a decent grinder and beans that we found, and it's like that's kind of our morning ritual: cappuccino every morning. Wow. And I have one in the afternoon, and you stopped. But no, we have kind of exquisite coffee. It's hard to drink coffee from anywhere else. (laughs) Or even machine coffee. It's like a big no-no. No, No, we just don't drink it. (laughs) We have a good coffee life. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite restaurant in New York City? This is really funny because we're like country bumpkins now. (laughs) And like I walk, when I'm in in Lincoln Center and, and because we live out in the woods here and especially with life, raising kids i walk out on the street and like at center at center i'm like a tourist you know i don't know we cook so much you know for, yeah. for our family does flushing count sure nanxiang xiaolongbao in flushing okay <laughs> we'll have to go to that um yeah okay so this or that questions summer or winter 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 sweet or salty Salty. Salty. Ooh. Breakfast or dinner? Dinner. Dinner. (laughs) You guys are the same. Dogs or cats? Cats. Cats. Wow. Okay. Wine or cocktails? Wine. Not really either. Beer, I would say. Or beer. Oh, so you're a beer guy. Beer. Gin and tonics. Ooh. (laughs) Okay, what's your go-to drink? I guess that's it then, gin and tonic, right? Yeah, gin and tonic. And beer. Um, If you're having wine, do you like red or white? Red. White. Mountains or ocean? Mountains. Um, Mountains. Jazz or pop? Jazz. (laughs) 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 Or rock. Rock. Yeah. Um, Ramen or udon? Um, Ramen. Coffee or tea? Oh, Coffee. I know this. Um, books or Netflix? Books. Netflix. <laughs> See, I'm not a TV person. <laughs> yeah. Cooking or takeout? Cooking. Cooking. Homebody or outdoors? Outdoors. Yeah, outdoors. Combination. Yeah, yeah. yeah combination. Mm-hmm. Um, introvert or extrovert? extrovert i'm a mix i think (laughs) yeah um morning person or night owl i guess this changes during the season right morning i think at this point in my existence at our age (laughs) (laughs) our advanced age okay um and then i guess just this won't be such a rapid question but what do you miss most about playing at the met seeing and playing with my friends and colleagues hearing the music hearing the sounds of the music hearing the singers hearing the sounds feeling the resonance within the orchestra that it's it's hard to imagine it's hard to experience that when you're not sitting right in the middle of it right yeah, I miss all really of that recreate. too. Recreate, yeah. Right. Just playing the music. Really yeah. miss. I really miss the music. Me too. Well, hopefully we'll be back very soon and stronger than ever before. Um, well, I think this was a good time to wrap it up. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for giving me and our listeners a chance to learn a little more about you. And unfortunately, our industry can have a stuffy perception, but I think that through these interviews, our friends in the audience will realize how normal or <laughs> not so normal we are as people. We're not that normal. <laughs> what is that? But yeah. Yeah, but th- just that we're people too. And we have lives and um, things outside of music and work too. So thank you so much for being here. And Such for your a time. pleasure, Julia. You're great. 
Thank you. It's your great, great new profession. (laughs) (laughs) This has been On Track with Julia. I'm Julia Choi, and my guests today were Nancy Wu and Lee Mesh, who are the Associate Concert Master and Associate Principal Bass of the Met Orchestra. I hope you enjoyed getting to sit down with Nancy and Lee just as much as I did. You can connect with Nancy at wumesh4 at gmail.com and Lee at leemesh63 at gmail.com. Stay tuned for more conversations with my colleagues. If you made it this far, I would appreciate it if you could hit the like and subscribe buttons, share with your friends, and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.